Your word says, therefore, by Jesus, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to you continually, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to your name, Father. And so we do. We thank you so much for this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, beginning this morning in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. The title of this message, Talk to God a Lot. And it comes from the verse here in chapter 6, verse 18, where we're told to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. There's the story that I'm told is a true story. I heard this from Don McClure about a dachshund that was owned by a family in Florida, right on the Everglades there, and... uh, one night when they uh, uh, called the dachshund in uh, from outside, they, uh, the dachshund didn't respond. And so then they saw that the tracks of the dachshund uh, led down to the swamp and alligator tracks led up from the swamp, so they came to the conclusion that an alligator had swallowed their little dog. Well, the next morning, this family got up to the sound of scratching on the screen door. And they went out, and there was their dachshund, wondering, of course, what in the world happened to this dog. So they went out, and they checked it out. And there on the bank of the Everglades was a dead alligator (laughs) with a big old gaping hole in its side. That dachshund apparently had been swallowed whole, alive, and clawed its way right out of that alligator, killing the alligator in the process and saving its own life. Now, you know anything about dachshunds, you know that they're mean little critters. And in fact, they can disavow a, a Great Dane, and, and so you wouldn't want to bet against a dachshund in a fight against a Great Dane under certain conditions. And uh, anyway, we're, we're told that it's a true story. Whether it's true or not, When the alligator's trying to swallow us alive, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand in the evil day, right? So how do we put on the alligator? The Bible tells us here, this verse, or how do we put on the whole armor of God, not the alligator? How do we do that? Prayer. Prayer. That's how we do it. And so we've been studying and looking at the armor of God in the last couple of weeks, which actually starts in... In verse 13, and we've seen it, the waist with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with peace, 
the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. It's the armor of God. But I want you to notice that in verse 18, right after it tells us to take the helmet of salvation, in verse 17, and right after it tells us to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, then it tells us, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. It's a participle. I want you to notice that in verse 18. A verb, a verbal adjective, if you will. And what it does is it connects the idea of prayer with the putting on of the armor of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In other words, as we put on the armor of God, we're doing it in prayer. That's the idea behind the text. In other words, prayer is the way we put on the armor of God along with faith. Taking the shield of faith, take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the Spirit. So this tells us that we have to put on the armor of God with prayer and also put it on by faith. In other words, it's not so much of going through the physical motions of putting on the armor of God. Okay, cinch up the skirt, tighten the belt, put on the breastplate, take the shoes, put on the helmet, take the sword. You know, it's not so much that type of an approach, but it's an approach that prays through the pieces of the armor as we put them on each and every day. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Now, prayer is also our number one weapon against any damage that has been done by the enemy. And, of course, the devil is at work in the world. He's the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us. He's the prince of darkness. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, verse 12 in this passage tells us, but against all these powers of darkness that are fighting against us. And the devil is doing much damage. So prayer is our number one weapon against the devil and against the things that he does. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, he said, If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or else how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will be able to plunder his goods? So suppose you've got a house and there's someone who's you know, wanting to steal the things that are in that house. But inside of that house, there's a well-armed and very strong individual who's perhaps schooled in martial arts. Well, you've got to somehow first get that guy tied up so that he's not a problem, and then you can go in and spoil the goods. That's what Jesus is saying about this world in which we live, which is so full of evil. The first thing that has to happen is that the strong man who is, of course, the devil and his minions, the strong man has to be bound. And when he is bound, then we, who are operating in the kingdom of God by the Holy Spirit, can plunder his goods. And how do we bind the strong man? Through prayer. Through prayer and the word of God. We're not actually the one doing the binding. The God, our Father, is doing the binding, but we're asking him to do the binding. We're asking him to go in and be strong in those areas where the enemy has a stronghold. Prayer is how that happens. Notice also that the text tells us praying always, so it's in the present tense, as speaks about persistence, persistence in prayers. 
Someone says most of modern man's trouble comes from the fact that he has too much time on his hands and not enough on his knees. How true that is. And I know that's true for my own life. I desire to be a better and more frequent and more consistent prayer. How about you? More consistent prayer. Is that what you want? We have too much time on our hands, not enough time on our knees, and that is to our own uh, hurt. So notice that, praying always, persistence in prayer. Jesus taught a lot about that. Praying always at every opportunity. That's another meaning for praying always. We pray at every opportunity. Because there are lots of opportunities to pray. Things that come up in life. Those are just automatic opportunities to pray. Philippians 4, there's that great passage. Be anxious for nothing. You know the verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right? So be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. So what's, what's the idea? What's, what's Paul saying? He's saying that in those areas about which we are anxious, those are the very things that become our prayer material. You're anxious about something? You're worried about something? You're concerned about something? Something that's bugging you? Something that you know needs attention? That becomes the prayer material. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known under God. In other words, don't worry, pray. And in anything about which you might be worrying, pray about that thing. Commit it to the Lord. Make sure you get to a place of peace about it as you pray. Pray in the name of Jesus. Pray the promises of God. Pray in faith. Pray with thanksgiving. Thank God that he's heard you. And then settle the matter. Okay, God has heard me. I've committed it to him. I know he's acting. I know he's working. I know he's listened to what I just said to him. I'm going to commit it to him. I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to move on and continue living my life. The peace of God guards our hearts and minds in Christ. Melanchthon said, Trouble and perplexity drive me to prayer, and prayer drives away perplexity and trouble. It's so true. That's the exact meaning of Philippians 4. Trouble and perplexity drive me to prayer, but when I pray, perplexity and trouble are driven away from me. It's very true. Believing prayer, that is. Notice also that the text tells us that we're to pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. The meaning there is we're to pray with all kinds of prayer, with every kind of request, with every kind of need, with every kind of desire, anything that comes up, we're to pray about it. Now here's a danger that I've seen in my own life, and I would just say let's be mindful of it this morning, and that is that I've got something that's on my mind, I've got something I want to talk to God about, so I figure out the best possible solution for that thing that I'm bothered about, And I create my plan and my strategy, and then I clearly tell my plan and strategy to God and hope that he agrees with the way I've figured out how to handle it. That's the wrong way to approach prayer. Prayer is not about me getting my will done. And it's not about me getting my plans accomplished or my strategies fulfilled. Prayer is about seeking the mind of God and finding out what does the Lord have to say. What does his word have to say about this? So the very first thing I think is important in prayer, 
when I'm going to ask God for something, here it is, this need that I've got, the very first thing is to get into my mind a scriptural principle or a Bible passage that deals with that area. Get that into my mind and then start from the Bible. Start from the truth of God's word and go from the truth of God's word to the request. So if somebody asks me to pray for them for physical healing, the first place my mind always goes is to James chapter 5, where God said, If there are any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church who will anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. So that's the first thing in my mind. So as I'm praying for that person, before I anoint them with oil, before I put my hand on them to pray over that particular illness, I'm thinking about the promise of God in James chapter 5. And I'm thinking, Lord, your word says that this person should do just what this person just did. Come to the elders of the church for prayer. And so in obedience to your word, I'm going to anoint this person with oil in the name of the Lord. I'm going to pray and as you hear the prayer of faith, Lord, trust you that you're going to raise this person up and heal them in the name of Jesus. I'm just praying what you have said in your word. I start with the promise. I start with the principle. I start with the verse and then go from that to the request rather than my way of figuring out the solution. Praying with all prayer and supplication, every kind of prayer, every kind of need, every kind of desire. I prayed for people for healing. I prayed for resurrections from the dead, never experienced that. I prayed for late weight loss for myself and for others. I prayed for couples that have had uh, an inability to get pregnant. I prayed for people with depression. I prayed for spiritual gifts to be received. I prayed for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, re to be received. I prayed for marriages, for opportunities, for children, for adults, all kinds of things. I mean, you name it, practically, and there's been opportunity to pray for it. And that's the idea here, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. In other words, nothing's off limits as long as we pray in the name of Jesus and according to the will of God. Ask him about everything. Pray about everything. Be anxious for nothing. Amen? Now, specifically, our prayer tar target is in this verse, for all the saints. In other words, we are to be praying for other believers. That's what is meant by the idea of saints, praying for the saints. Saints are other believers, sanctified ones, ones that are set apart, those that have trusted Jesus Christ. So pray for other individuals who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Pray for all the saints. Why is that necessary? It's necessary for the growth of the body. It's necessary for the edification of the church. It's necessary for the ministry of fellow believers. Much is riding on our fellow believers' spiritual health and the flow of spiritual power in their lives. If you're healthy, if I'm healthy spiritually, and we're living a vibrant, spirit-filled life with Christ... In whatever circumstance we're in, if we're healthy, then the kingdom of God has a much greater opportunity to spread. If I'm unhealthy or we're unhealthy, then the kingdom of God is hindered. And Pastor Chuck, for years, has taught us younger pastors, healthy sheep will reproduce. 
but sick sheep cannot reproduce. So it's important that we're healthy spiritually. Reproduction spiritually is the result. So how do I pray for all the saints? Well, again, we start with the word. I love to pray the prayers of the New Testament. I love to pray the prayers of Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, and Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, and Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 11. I love to pray these New Testament prayers that are there because I know God will listen to those. They're in his word. I know God will do what I've asked him to do. Because I'm just praying scripture right back to him. So this tells us that our prayer life is outward directed, specifically in the direction of other believers. It makes me think of Job. Job with all the horrible things that he had to endure. Without even really knowing what was going on. Not knowing that there was a spiritual contest in the heavens. Satan had challenged the character of God. And God said, okay, Job will be the test case. He will, he will be the one upon which my integrity will rest in the eyes of man. That's quite a test. And Job got very ill, as you know, and he lost everything. And then he was accosted by men that were his friends who were accusing him of things that weren't true of him. Very painful to endure that. He went through that whole season... Uh, however long it was that he was in that condition. At the very end, the Lord shows up. You remember the story. And when the Lord shows up, human beings' mouths close. You notice that? And we can be real arrogant. We can talk about all kinds of things and spout our opinions. But then the Lord shows up and goes, ooh, (laughs) I don't think I got it right. And that's what Job said, I've heard of you, speaking to the Lord, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, Job realized what was going on as soon as he saw the Lord. And then the Lord, you know, spoke about Job's friends and said that they were wrong in what they had said. And then Job was to offer sacrifice for his friends and pray for them. In Job 42.10, powerful passage of scripture, it says, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. What a telling passage of scripture. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Now, I've always seen that as a mandate from God. Get my mind, get my focus, get my attention off of myself and onto the needs of others. Pray for them. If I want to be blessed, be a blessing to others. If I want to see something powerful happen in my life, pray for the needs of others. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. And it wasn't easy, I don't think, for Job to do do that. These guys had really hurt him. Deeply. But he prayed for them, which meant he also forgave them. And the Lord restored everything to Job twice as much as he had before. So there's a lesson there. Now there's one phrase in this verse that we have not commented on. And that is, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That phrase, in the Spirit. We are to pray this way by the power of 
of the Holy Spirit. We are to pray this way with the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is wonderful news for us because, you know, when we just are leaving it up to our own thinking about what to say to an eternal, omniscient, all-powerful God, what do we say? How do we talk to God? What do we talk to God about? How do we pray about these situations? Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit to help us, right? And he is the one that God has sent to us in order to help us to pray, to give us direction in prayer, and to give us the power to pray when we pray. Basically, prayer goes like this. We pray to the Father in the name or the authority of Jesus Christ by the power and leading of the Holy Spirit. So if you're stuck, as I get stuck at times, what do I do? I trust in the Holy Spirit. We're to trust in the Holy Spirit. Lord, help me to pray. Teach me to pray. So that's the basic meaning of praying in the Spirit, relying on the direction of the Holy Spirit in prayer and then trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to pray. Now, there are different shapes of praying in the Spirit that the New Testament points to. One is, of course, praying in tongues. If you have the gift of tongues and you've received your prayer language, then you can pray in tongues. And you don't know necessarily what you're saying, but God knows what you're saying, and he'll listen to everything that the Spirit is saying through you as you speak directly to God in the gift of tongues. So you can pray for a situation, and you can pray over a situation using your prayer language, and the Lord will be hearing it. That's one form. Another form is to pray uh, with the groanings of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8. We do not know what we should pray for as we ought, Paul wrote. Uh, But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches the heart, the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because the Spirit makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So you may have had this experience without knowing what it is, or what is going on. But there will be a situation that you've heard about. There will be a person and their need that you've heard about. And it's deeply troubled you. And you've gotten on your knees and you've assembled other people to pray for that person with you or that situation with you. And still it stays with you. And you can almost feel like there's a, a churning, a tumbling going on inside of your heart. Your mind is arrested on this subject and your heart is is being very very uh, stirred well don't discount the possibility that the spirit of god in the experience you're having may be making intercession for that situation right then and there as you're groaning in your spirit now as that is happening the father is interpreting everything that the holy spirit is saying to him about that intercessory prayer need And the Father is listening to it, and the Father is responding to it. It's a tremendous thing uh, to experience that. I think the first time I was ever aware that that happened was years ago. I was doing a baptism in Monterey. We were at Lover's, well, actually at a Silmar State Beach, and it was a stormy day. It was rainy. 
And I think there were only two people that got baptized that day, and the, it was so wet and miserable out that the people were staying in their cars up on the, on the, uh, the road looking down. And so this one gal, Carolyn, she wanted to be baptized, and I decided, you know, I'll just, I'll just handle it. I'll just go out by myself. I don't want to expect others to go out there with me and try to deal with this surf and this cold. And so I went out, and Carolyn came out, and, and uh, we got her baptized, and, and then she started walking back. Well, right as she started walking back, a surge of surf came behind us. And I was okay, I saw it coming, but she didn't see it, and it knocked her down in the water. And she was thrashing around. It was only later that I realized she's never learned how to swim. So this woman who just got baptized that day could have gotten baptized and met the Lord on the same day. You know, I mean, it was pretty radical. Well, you know, she popped up and we were able to get to her in time, and she's sputtering and gasping and all of those types of things. And meanwhile, her mother and father were up in the car looking down, just horrified at what was going on at their daughter. And, uh, you know, of course, uttered all the apologies and decided I'm never going to do a baptism all by myself again. That was very, very stupid on my part. And then I went to bed that night, thankful that everything worked out the way it did but I couldn't sleep. And I just sensed that the Lord was doing some praying, some deep praying in me and through me. And I woke up in the morning, finally, after I was able to get to sleep for a couple of hours and realized that the Spirit of God, the fact the Lord spoke that verse to my heart, I sensed, Romans 8, that the Spirit was making intercession with groanings that are too deep for words. And... Uh, Maybe you've had that experience and haven't realized it before, but that's another way that the Spirit can pray for us and we can pray in the Spirit. And then, of course, another way is just a way that we might imagine. We just look to the Lord and we say, okay, here's the situation. I don't know what to pray for. I don't know a verse to attach to this need. So give me wisdom and guidance, Lord Jesus. Give me wisdom and guidance, Father. And the Holy Spirit begins to teach us what to say. That's praying in the Spirit as well. That that's how prayer should be done. It should be done in the Spirit. Aren't you glad that we have the Holy Spirit to help us? It actually makes prayer much less draining or full of human effort because it's the Lord that's doing it. But then Paul goes on and he says in verses 19 and 20, he said, pray for me. Pray for me. Now, what does an apostle ask prayer for? Very interesting. Pray for me that utterance may be given to me. The word there, translated utterance in the New King James Bible, is the word logos. Pray for me that logos would be given to me. Now, what's the New Testament sense, the primary meaning of logos? It has to do with Jesus, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. In the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse, one, uh, verse 14 of John 1, And the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. So it's speaking about Jesus. What Paul is praying for is that 
the Lord would give him opportunity, open doors to speak about Jesus, that utterance would be given to him and speak about Jesus and also to speak about the gospel message. Now, these are things that are needed. They're needed for apostles and they're needed for the saints. Don't we still have a sign, Pastor Bill, that says you are now entering the mission field as, you, as we leave the church property here? We are. We're now, leave, we're now entering the mission field. We've gathered and we've huddled as the troops and we've you know, received our marching orders and now it's time to go out, right? Well, we need utterance. We need the Lord to give us opportunities to speak about Jesus and about his gospel. And, of course, people around us everywhere need Jesus. Now, to do that, boldness is necessary, and so he asks for boldness, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Boldness is confidence. It's freedom of speech. That's what Paul was asking for. It's not the wide-eyed evangelist with the veins in the neck popping out and just, you know, screaming at people. That's not boldness. Boldness is freedom and confidence. Boldness is what a quiet, soft-spoken person has when they decide to take the risk and share the gospel with their neighbor. Boldness is just freedom of speech. It's being able to freely share about the Lord and You've experienced that, no doubt, that there are times when it just flows. And even though you were scared going into the conversation, the Spirit of God took over, and you took the step of faith. You decided to give yourself to that conversation and take the time necessary, and you spoke the name of Jesus, and it opened up doors, and things started happening. You were experiencing boldness. That's what Paul was praying for, for boldness. And he says that he wanted to make known the mystery of the gospel. The truths of the gospel message. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. We want to tell people about that. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. And then he identifies himself. He says, for which, that is because of the gospel, for which... I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was in prison as he wrote this letter, yet he referred to himself as being an ambassador. He was in prison, but he was an ambassador. You wouldn't normally think that an ambassador who's in prison thinks of himself as an ambassador or able to function as an ambassador, but that wasn't the case with Paul. He continued to preach. He continued to share the gospel, even though he was in prison. And when Christians are imprisoned in closed countries, in places where there's lots of persecution, what that is going to mean is that the prisoners in that facility are going to receive the gospel. That's what it's going to mean. Because you can't chain the word of God. You can't chain people. I've read testimonies where they were not allowed to speak in some of these prisons. But they would develop codes by which they could communicate with their fellow prisoners. Sort of like a, an abbreviated prison Morse code, tapping on the walls. And they would learn how to preach the gospel to each other, just tapping on walls. 
And the gospel had spread throughout the whole prison and they didn't have any idea how this was happening. How are people coming to Christ? How are people being discipled? Oh, it just happened on the walls. God was opening doors. Paul was an ambassador for Christ even though he was in prison. That's because he saw himself as representing God's kingdom and God's government. He wasn't part of any earthly kingdom or primarily identified with any human government. And then he closes the letter in verses 21 through 24. He's very concerned for them that the Ephesian believers would know how Paul was doing and know about the details that he was going through, the things he was experiencing. And so he sent his faithful co-worker Tychicus, verse 21. But that you may also know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. This man's name, Tychicus, means fortunate. And he was fortunate to have met Christ, and then later he was fortunate to have met the Apostle Paul. And what we know about him is he accompanied Paul to Jerusalem from Macedonia at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. And later he visited Paul in Rome, which tells us about some, uh, something about this man. Paul was in prison. And although this was his first imprisonment when he wrote this letter, evidence, strong evidence indicates he was released from his first imprisonment. He was able to travel again and he was imprisoned again and then finally beheaded by Caesar Nero. But he was still in custody. It wasn't necessarily safe for these believers to visit Paul. But Tychicus visited Paul in Rome, even though it was dangerous. He was a beloved brother. That means God loved him and others loved him. And he was also a faithful minister in the Lord. So he was someone that Paul and others could rely upon. I look at those characteristics. Somebody who cares about someone like Paul or others so much that they'll risk their own lives or their own safety to attend to them. Someone who has a reputation that others consider them beloved brothers or beloved sisters and someone who is a faithful minister. You want something done? Then that's the person to do it because they're a faithful minister in the Lord. They will represent Christ well. That's who Tychicus was. And it just makes me think, well, of course, that's what we want to be. That's what I want to be. I want to be that guy. And Paul was able to trust him and Tychicus was able to represent Paul accurately as well as comfort the believers, which, of course, was that which was on Paul's heart. And then he gives his benediction and blessing to the church as he closes out the letter. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Look at all he packs into two verses. Peace, love with faith. Grace, all of these things, these great characteristics, attributes that Paul sent to the church because that was his heart for them. Reminds me very much of the high priestly blessing that God gave to Israel and to the high priest to speak to the children of Israel. And when, you, when we think about this blessing that God gave to the priest to speak to Israel, it very much tells us what God's heart is for his people. 
very much. And that means it's God's heart for you. And that means it's God's heart for me. But let's look at this. God said to Aaron and therefore to his sons, this is the way you should bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. That's what the Lord wanted to do. He wanted to put his name on his people. He wanted to put his character and his reputation, his attributes upon his people. That's what his name is. He wants to put himself upon his people and the blessing that comes from that. Is it because his people deserve it? Is it because his people have earned it? No. No, we're all weak human beings. We've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. We all have a flesh. We all struggle and stumble, as James says, in many ways. All of us do. But the Lord still loves to put his name on his people because he loves his people. He loves his people because he loves his people. You say, well, why did God love his people? Well, he loves his people because he loves his people. He just does because that's what he's like. And that's of great comfort. And so here we have Paul putting this kind of blessing upon the people in Ephesus. Peace and love and grace on all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Beautiful. And since we're all a kingdom of priests, we have the same kind of authority to bless each other. Oh, how important it is that we bless each other in the name of the Lord. To say words of blessing. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We can kill each other with our words. We can build each other up with our words. How important it is to bless each other. Speak a good word to one another. We can really strengthen the kingdom of God through our words. So that closes out the epistle to the Ephesians. One more thought about spiritual warfare and about praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. There's a missionary who had gone into the jungles of New Guinea. This is recorded by John Yates, and this missionary had written John Yates a letter about his service in these jungles of New Guinea, which is a tribal area, a very primitive place. And the missionary said, Man, it's great to be in the thick of the fight, to draw the old devil's heaviest guns, to have him at you with depression and discouragement, slander, disease. He doesn't waste time on the lukewarm bunch. He hits good and hard when a fellow's hitting him. You can always measure the weight of your blow by the one you get back. When you're on your back with fever and at your last ounce of strength, when some of your converts backslide, when you learn that your most promising inquirers are only fooling, when your mail gets held up and some don't bother to answer your letters, is that the time to put on mourning? No, sir. That's the time to pull out all the stops and shout, Hallelujah! The old fellow's getting it in the neck and hitting back. 
Heaven is leaning over the battlements and watching. Will he stick with it? And as they say, who is with us? As they see the impossibility of failure, how disgusted and sad they must be when we run away. But we're going to stand. And that's what this passage is about. It's about standing. And we have to remember, the devil may win some battles, but he loses the war. He thought he'd defeated Jesus at the cross, but then came the resurrection, you remember. He thinks he's winning right now, but Jesus has promised to come again, and he's going to lose gloriously and royally and brutally. Therefore, we must stand. Right? Having put on the whole armor of God. We have no other choice. It's either fight or flight. Which will it be? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you, Lord, for giving us the tools by which we can stand. You've given us the armor. You've given us prayer. You've given us the presence and the power and the person of the Holy Spirit. You've given us Christian fellowship, a community of believers who love us and who will encourage us. You've given us all of these things, Lord, that we might continue serving you, continue loving you, continue fighting the good fight of faith and stand when we're opposed and hassled and when the gauntlet of battle is thrown down. We'll stand but we'll only stand with the army you give us. It's the only way. So strengthen us, your people, Lord, we pray. And as we're in this attitude of prayer, I want to speak to anyone who may not have ever received Jesus as your Savior or Lord. The Bible says that God loves you. And the Bible says that Jesus died for your sins, and he rose from the dead. And if you want to receive eternal life, the Bible also says that there's only one way to receive it, and that's to receive Jesus Christ. You receive Jesus Christ, you receive eternal life. If you reject Jesus Christ, you reject eternal life. But if you desire to receive Jesus Christ, you can't just add him to your other religions. You've got to reject everything else. Forsake all that you have, or you can't be his disciple. You've got to make a decision. Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And if your heart this morning is to receive Jesus Christ and believe in him with all of your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says you'll be saved. It's up to you. Anybody this morning... Is there anyone here that wants to make that decision for the first time? If you do, would you raise your hand right where you're seated? Hold it up high so I can see it and we can pray for you to receive Jesus Christ into your life. What's at stake? Your eternal destiny. What's at stake? Your forgiveness of sins or lack of it. That's what's at stake. What's at stake? A life that means something versus a life that's meaningless. Anyone this morning? Lord, we thank you for the gospel message. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he is and all that he does. And we pray for anyone who may be listening to this later or who's watching it online, perhaps, or who will watch it later online. We pray that the Holy Spirit would just speak very powerfully into their human spirits leading them into the knowledge of who Jesus is. And we thank you for it.
in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand together?